wasn't here last night? Okay. Um, you'll notice at the tables, we have the stuff for the morning session that's already there. Uh, if you're sitting in the back somewhere, you can go ahead and pick a copy of that from one of the tables there. Uh, we have it here for you. So, good morning. I love that song that we just sang. I love both of them, actually. But it's just so key, isn't it? Um, all he asks is that we be open. It's his job to work his work in us. And we just say, yes, Lord. So, and I just loved, you know, singing the last stanza together without the music, just to hear your hearts to, together, all of us just basically saying, yes, Lord. So I'm excited about what God's going to do this morning. Um. So, this morning we'll have uh, our time and, and we'll have a group table discussion uh, uh, in the morning and as well as in the afternoon. We've got a great lunch planned for you. Um, so, let's go ahead and dive in. And um, the first part here is that we're going to be doing is progressing towards better communication. Remember the word for thrive is progress attain, go towards a goal. Uh, so the idea of progressing towards better communication, there's a lot's been said about it. Um, Vicki noted last night that for many years when there were marital issues, communication and being able to have effective communication was thought to be the very pillar and need to fix and help couples. And yet, you know, studies have shown again that friendship is really that place. But we're going to address communication from a little different uh, vantage point or a viewpoint this morning, uh, only because it's something culturally that we have issues with, which is listening. Um, because I think because of so many things are grabbing our attention that we're having to think multitasking and working multitasking style, and also um, so many voices that uh, the ability to hear what's really necessary is sometimes very difficult for us. So um, in this, uh, I'm going to do a macro view again, the high view of uh, being able to be as individuals effective communicators uh, from a vantage point from, let's say, from heaven. Um, we can only communicate well by learning how to listen better, and that is especially beginning with God. Um, notice some of the scriptures that I've put here uh, about being able to listen and how important that is to God. Uh, first of all, just even a, a saving faith for eternity is based on the ability to hear. Uh, quoting from Romans 10, where Paul's talking about this glorious good news going out about Jesus, he says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And so as the message was, was proclaimed about this risen Savior who died to rescue the world, um, faith came by hearing that, and God giving us the ability to hear. Um, really, that, that's an essential point. Sometimes uh, we can look at a lot of work, workbooks and things on how to listen better. Uh, I think it goes deeper than that. It's, Lord, give me a listening ear and a ready heart to receive. Um, one of the things that is the next verse is about being able to have a stable life, uh, having a stability. And this is what Jesus had to say. He said, 
Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Remember, I was talking about that golfing uh, analogy last night, and it's a poor analogy because it's not nearly as important. But the reason I'm a mediocre golfer is that I don't practice what I've heard and do it um, more on a more consistent basis. So my game's mediocre. But in concerning eternity and whether or not the house that you're building, uh, whether it's your job, your dreams, your hopes, uh, your marriage, uh, any other thing that is important to you as part of your house, Jesus is saying here, hear my words and put them into practices like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And of course, if you're familiar with that passage later on, he begins to talk about the storms of life that are going to come. And if it's built on the good foundation of practical application of what he says, then your house is going to stand when the storms come. It's not a matter of if, it's when and what kinds. Um, Another thing that's important is, do you know who you are? What defines you of how you feel about yourself or who you are? What does that, where does that come from? Well, in God's viewpoint, listening and receiving and knowing that God knows you intimately and still loves you is a strong identity impression. Listen to what John says here uh, in his letter. He says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That's a strong affirmative. If you know you are his son or daughter, that goes a long way towards forming an identity in you that is secure. Um, Notice what he says to Jeremiah about how well God knows him. God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Just think about that for a couple of seconds. God knew you before you were born. He had a purpose for you, a plan for you, thoughts towards you, even before he formed you in the womb. Wow. That, that's a mind blower for me. If you know who you are, by God's viewpoint, you're going to have a much more stable uh, relationship with others. And finally, the ability to know yourself. Um, this is a, a little bit more um, conceptual sometimes in our mind, but the ability to, to understand your thoughts, feelings, emotions, uh, some of those depths of being uh, is, is kind of wrapped up in these two verses here from God's viewpoint. He says, the human spirit is the lamp of the Lord that sheds light on one's inmost being. This is kind of why David said, Lord, search me and know me and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way that's everlasting. So the Lord literally take, by his spirit, he takes our spirit and like a lamp shines to the innermost parts of who we are and then reveals that to us so that we can know that. And that's not always, oh, Lord, show me what's wrong. 
No, show me who I am. Let me know my thoughts. Let me understand things about myself. Self-knowledge comes from understanding what God's saying about you. And then finally, uh, when God speaks, this is what he says about his ability to speak. The word of God is alive and powerful, and it's sharper than any when, than the sharpest two-edged sword. It cuts between the soul and the spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. We can get into a habit sometimes that when the Lord speaks, it's only for correction. It's only for something that's negative. Again, that going back to identity, do you know who you are in the Father's eyes? Do you know who you are as a friend of God? Those are important things. So then if we understand that what we say has the power of life and death, Proverbs 18.21, if we understand the power of our tongue, and we're wise enough to, to love and appreciate the power of what we say, that it has value, we know it's important, then we're going to flourish, and then we're going to eat the pleasant fruit of wise and effective speech. Does that make sense? So if there's an abundance of love and wisdom and understanding in our minds and hearts from our source, then our speech is going to reflect that scriptural truth, which is being quick to listen, but slow to speak and slow to get angry. So, there we go. That's God's macro view. Now we're going to go into uh, seeing this in our marital relationship and, and about communication, the ability to listen. Um, I think an important goal, I think it has to be a, more of a primary goal that we're constantly looking for, is to first understand, then to be understood. I know when we're hurting, when we feel uh, our, our self-analysis uh, is, is, is hard and negative, we want somebody to understand us. And there's times for that. I get that. But in general, if we have a goal that I first want to understand my, my spouse, my mate, my friend, and then secondarily to be understood, that's going to be really huge. It's an attitude of the heart. It's a decision that we make. And I think, too, I mean, if we're really honest, I don't, I don't want a show of hands, but just think for a moment. If I'm really honest... In the midst of a conversation where there's maybe some disagreement or maybe a little bit of angst, generally speaking, my default is not to understand Gunther. I want him to understand where I'm coming from and what I'm trying to tell him. It's a huge shift, isn't it? If you think that primarily... How different would that conversation go if my first goal is to hear him and understand where he's coming from? How might that change my response? How might that change how I address that situation? Just a thought. Um, you see some points here, just some bullet points. Um, that when we practice you know, good listening habits and skills and attitudes to listen, 
it, it produces a feeling in them of being valued by us. Would you, would you agree that when you felt that your husband or wife has um, really listened to what you said and valued it, that that makes you feel valued and important? Um, it can ignite hope. And what I mean by that is, okay, maybe it's not as bad as I think it is about this situation or about this issue in my life. I, I've got hope that we can partner together on this and work it through because I'm being listened to. Um, there's a sense of empathy that grows in your own heart when you have a goal to listen. You become better. You may, you know, one of the things I've always hated in counselors is when someone shares something and you go, well, I understand what you're saying. And I feel like, you've been divorced before? Well, no. Well, then how do you understand that? Does that make sense? That statement is fallacious to me. Um, but empathy is the ability to, to kind of grasp that, that shared feeling, that shared emotion, that shared thought, and sort of begin to grapple with it, what that means. You begin to have more, you, you begin to uh, project empathy or uh, a, a shared like, boy, in, in human experience, I can feel that, what you're saying. Or I really, I, I'm beginning to get a formation of thought what this means. Um, and finally, it, it really helps cultivate and develop unity. Now, unity is never uniformity. <laughs> But unity means that you're going in the same direction. It helps cultivate that. It, it starts growing as we seek to listen and to share and to have understanding of where our spouse is you know, going in their conversation and what's behind it. We've all heard some of these listening skills before. It's like communication 101, right? <clears throat> Applying them isn't always as easy as it sounds. But by God's grace, by God's grace, when we just continue to say yes to him, he can incorporate these things in us as we seek to communicate with our spouse. Listening includes reading body language and facial expressions. Have you ever been in a conversation with each other? And... Well, I, I'll be honest, I'll wrap myself out. My body language is tight, my face, I'm scowling. And Gunther will say, I can tell you're mad. I didn't say I was mad. <laughs> I didn't have to, right? How many, I mean, just watching the other person's body language, their expression, are they at ease, are, is their jaw clenched, can give you some clues. Hearing the tone of their voice. You can say the same thing gently, sweetly, with angst, with passion. It all plays into the message. And what, what with us that works is that uh, one of our personality differences is that she's English, I'm German. And so with that, I'm very demonstrative. I can be very loud. Vicky interprets that tone of loudness as being angry. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like the, I don't like the passion. It, I don't like it. Not in that moment. I was raised very, you spoke very stoically. 
no matter how angry you were, in even tones. So it's just a different world. Are you done? Oh, okay. yes, I'm done. Okay. I'm sorry. Um, keeping eye contact. As the speaker, how hard is it to communicate to someone who will not look at you? Do yourself and the other person a favor. Maintain eye contact. How many of you, men or women, when you're saying something and the other person's phone starts buzzing with a message and they stop and look at it? Does that bug the crap out of you? Okay, there we go. Eye contact. <laughs> Such as avoiding interruptions while a person is speaking. <laughs> In my world, manners are very important. Decorum is very important. So it's very kind of me when I'm with someone or communicating some with someone, perhaps to silence my phone or not pay attention. I mean, in the world that we live in, in this digital age with cell phones and how everything is just at our fingertips, honestly, it's addicting, right? It's addicting. So make a concerted effort, put the phone away. Or there have been those times where I'm really expecting an important phone call. And I'll tell the person in advance, you know, I'm really sorry, but I need to keep my phone with me because I'm expecting a call from so-and-so for whatever. Oh, that's totally fine, because I've forewarned them, but every other call gets ignored. It's just kind. And then, you know, this is the granddaddy, right? When someone's talking to you, especially in the midst of an argument, and you, they're not finished speaking, but I can hardly wait to make my next point. <laughs> and I'm more focused on formulating my argument or my retort than I am on listening to what they have to say. It's a practiced skill, I admit it. It's not easy, but it's so important. To answer before listening, the scripture says, is folly. That word folly is really strong in, in the scriptures. It means, it almost means ungodly. It's foolish to do that. And I think it shames you and your partner because you're not, again, giving that attention to listening. If you, it's amazing how if you pause after your spouse is finished just talking, and it can be anything, and not even an argument. Let's just stay away from conflict. We'll talk enough about that later. But just in a conversation, you take that extra second, and that really tells your partner, oh, they're thinking about what I've said. They're not just forming an answer. Kind of like the nail issue last night that we watched. <laughs> um, He's already got the answer, and she knows it. <laughs> so some thoughtful, helpful responses when someone's speaking to you and you're, what, you're maintaining eye contact, nod your head. Every now and then say, uh-huh, I hear you, I'm sorry. Make little comments, acknowledge that you are receiving what they're communicating. Asking for more information, not in a challenging way, but in an... I'm curious way. Tell me more about that. I don't, can you explain, especially if your spouse is trying to communicate something to you to really explain where they're coming from or what they're going through and you're not fully grasping it. 
Can you explain that to me in a different way? Or tell me more about them, or ask them direct questions. And again, not in a challenging way, but in an I'm interested and I need more information. Summarize uh, or mirror what they say. Okay, what I'm hearing you say is this. And with us, sometimes when we feed back to each other what we thought we heard, oh, no, no, that's, that's not what I mean. It's super helpful to do that to make sure that you're grasping what's being communicated. Ask if your understanding is correct. Okay, this is what I'm hearing you say. Is that accurate? Yeah, that you got it. Or, eh, no, let, let me share a little bit more with you. Ask open questions. Um, who, what, where, when? I'm sorry, I'm laughing because, anyway, never, never mind. <laughs> I know what you're laughing yeah. about. Um, <laughs> I'll share that. Um, it's, that's just good, to ask open questions, and it's another way of getting, getting more information. Um, you can see an example. I see your... Everybody knows what that emoji is? What's up? Or you look sad, how are you feeling? The reason why I, I didn't include why um, some of the uh, different PhDs and therapists said, well, why just tends to uh, paint your partner in a corner. Like, why did you even do that? Well, I can see how you could say, well, how did you end up doing that? You see what I mean? So why can be used in a, in a constructive way? That was what we were laughing, but I used different language. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You want to read that scripture? Sure. The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. That's what we're doing in communication, is we're helping each other communicate. Sometimes, especially often for men, because it's more difficult for a man to get in touch with his feelings than it is for a woman, generally. So she can ask questions to help draw him out, help him discover why he's upset or why he feels the way he does about the, a particular situation. So that, that's a really good skill for both partners to learn, actually. I mean, there's times as a woman where I'm not sure why something is bothering me or why I'm upset. So it's helpful when Gunther asks me specific questions to help draw me out. So thoughts and feelings in general, really it, it can cross over sometimes, but there are differences, especially as Vicki said, men, men think more, women feel more, as a general generality, okay? Not where you want to put people into pigeonholing, but uh, thoughts are, we usually form our thinking from what we believe, how we were brought up, what, we're, what, we, what we believe about things, people, uh, situations. We bring that into any situation in marriage. There's a belief system. Whether you're, you really know what it is or you don't know what that is, um, you are able to, um, without even thinking, you can sometimes communicate out of that belief system, even though you're not aware what it is. It comes from experiences. Um, we make interpretations from any given information now and the expectations we might have in the future. That's a belief system. So this can affect our attitudes. Uh, you know, you may have an attitude in one situation, but you've got a definite attitude in another, and it changes without you even having to think about it. It's just throwing on a light switch, 
Does that make sense? Uh, impressions. That's a thought process. Um, sometimes we get a little hung up on not using the word judgment. Um, yes, don't judge in the sense of final passing judgment or condemnation, but we make judgments, uh, impressions all the time, don't we? Think about it. You, you, at work, you meet someone after a few days, you pretty much know, oh, this guy's not going to hang here very long. You've made a judgment, right? I'm going to fire him next week. You have to make a judgment of that, right? On that person's ability or their attitudes. Um, think about when uh, you women are thinking about, you know, for your children, if you're at home, or for men, if you're home uh, and your wife's working, um, you sort of have to make an impression, you have to make a thoughtful impression on whether or not your child's going to be playing with their child and that it's good. You're making a decision. You're making a judgment. There's nothing wrong in that. There's absolutely, you need to. You're, I think we're fooling ourselves and we're naive if we're not making these uh, correct judgments. We all have that based on our belief system, right? A judgment can even be as simple as you're in the market and you're judging, you're deciding which cantaloupe to buy. I mean, again, it's, there's no condemnation in it. It's, not, it's just you're making a decision, and we do that all day long. What principles do you have? What are non-negotiable principles for you? Think about that for a second. Answer that question for yourself. What are your non-negotiable principles? That was formed and shaped by a thinking process. Men or women, doesn't matter. Uh, needs, uh, that you may think, well, well wait a minute. Um, I think that's more of a feeling. It can be, but it's also a thought process. Think about how you put together your budget. You have to make a decision uh, on what really is a need and what's a want. I want a fifth will. That's not a need, though I, it's hard to convince me sometimes of that fact. Right? Think about it. Or a boat, or you can make any kind of thing there. So you have to understand really what are your needs. This is kind of why we do that macro view of scripture, because we need to have an understanding. <laughs> we, we really have to understand what our essential needs are. Does that make sense? Values, another deeper thought process that goes beyond principles. What has worth to you? What means something deeply to you? Because it's proved itself over and over again to have some sense of satisfaction for you, some sense of performance. Right, guys? Again, my clubs aren't working. It's not me. It's not my problem. I've got to get a new set of clubs. <laughs> I know, bad. Opinions. You all have opinions on something. Some of you suppress those opinions. Some of you are highly opinionated. There's no wrong or right in that process, but you all have opinions about things, don't you? That's a thought process. It's formed from a belief system. So our levels, our beliefs leading to our thoughts, and this is important because this is where we start getting into some depth about our life, our beliefs leading to our thoughts are influenced by some of these things. 
our level of wounded, our wounds or health. Where you came from, you know, your experiences in life, what hurts you will lead to a belief system in you. What was healthy and, and great for you leads to a belief system. And you have come from different places, so you have a different thought system because it's formed from share, an experience that maybe your mate didn't share with you. Or even a shared experience that, for one, oh, that was, that was a great healthy thing. And the other's like, no, it wasn't. And so you have competing beliefs and thoughts. Um, the family life, was it positive or negative in which you grew up? Um, it's never black and white. There's shades of gray in that. But it, again, it forms and shapes your thoughts and attitudes and impressions where you came from. And those have to be addressed, both the good and the negative of where we've come from in our family or ongoing family. Some of you obviously deal with in-laws and outlaws, and it can be really a problem, right? Um, so there you go. Um, so there's a learned response. Um, how did you respond to that healthy place or that wound? Um, what was positive or negative? You, you have a response that becomes a learned pattern. This happens, I respond this way. It's just an automatic thing. Um, we want to help identify where a response which is harmful to our relationship we need to go back and, okay, I need to disconnect from this place so that I automatically don't respond. I need a level of healing. I need some restoration so that I just don't automatically respond in a negative way that will affect my wife, for instance. Um, and finally, the past experience or traumas, again, really, is, I don't want to uh, belabor the point, but we are responsible for our thoughts. There's only one person responsible for that, and that's you. And knowing the foundation for your beliefs. Is it a good foundation? Is it solid, or is it really just looks like it is, but you put some weight on it and it collapses? Those are questions that you need to be getting to start self-evaluation for. It's an important part of this process of communication and the ability to listen as God searches us, Lord, search me. Let me know this. Under, let me understand this. Where are my foundations for these beliefs? Is it solid? And do I need to get, have a revision of what I, what I really believe in? Because we were created to believe. You can't get away from that. It's part of our makeup as human beings. We have uh, trust and faith and belief in many, many things for many reasons. Self-examination, you are responsible for that. So that's important. I think one thing to remember, too, is the scriptures instruct us to yes. bring our thoughts captive to the throne of Christ. So we can have thoughts, and they may be founded, as Gunther was talking about, in different beliefs or values or whatever. But what we do with those thoughts what we allow them to do to us or what we, where we allow those thoughts to take us is really key. And I think women generally, um, we struggle with this often more than men do because 
we will often allow our thoughts to take us to the place of what if. Well, what if this happens? What if my child gets hurt? What if this, what if we run out of money? What if, what if, what if the earth opens and swallows my family? I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but honestly, there are times where if I let my thoughts lead me, they go to these really not healthy places which can lead me into feelings that are not helpful. So, and I know this is a whole other topic and I don't, I don't know that we have time to really explore it fully, but it's just important to remember to bring your thoughts captive to the throne and ask the Lord to help you discern what's true and how possibly you're being led down some not healthy path. What if is a really dangerous question. It's not even worth exploring because you cannot control the future. You do not know what's going to happen. So women especially, when that what if comes to your mind, take that thought and counter it with what do I know is true even if it means finding scriptures that you can stand on that battle fear and anxiety. Okay, I'm not going to explore what if our financial world crashes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to camp on the fact what I know is true. God is my provider and he is faithful. And he will not abandon us, abandon us if that makes any sense. So those are your thoughts, and you're responsible for what you do with them. The other side of that coin is feelings. Now, feelings are emotional responses, and they aren't either, they're neither right nor wrong. And I know this is something sometimes that men struggle with. Uh, I know growing up, I would tell my, my, my parents, I'm feeling this way. I'm, I, I struggled a lot with fear growing up. I was petrified to go to sleep with the light off. And my parents' response, they did the best. I had, great, I had great parents and I had a great upbringing. But their response to me was, you shouldn't be afraid. Now, do you think that helped me overcome fear? Not in the least. I'm really sad right now. Well, you shouldn't be sad. Well, too bad, I am. <laughs> you see, when you, a feeling is a feeling is a feeling is a feeling. And sometimes, you know, we cannot often control. Now, our thoughts can lead us to dangerous feelings. That's why bringing your thoughts captive is so key. But a feeling is an emotional response. And especially for men, when your wife tells you, I'm feeling this way, rather than tell her she shouldn't, or trying to rationally explain her out of that emotional ditch. Won't work. Yeah, it's it, the nail. She needs your empathy, maybe your prayers. She needs you to hear her. You can't fix it for her. I know that's what guys love to do, and we appreciate that about you. Truly, we do. Sometimes. We need you to fix things. <laughs> but feelings are feelings. And they are important. They can't be denied. They can't be avoided. You can't pretend you're not feeling how you're feeling because you are. They're a part of the what is of the moment. And sometimes, especially for women, she might have a whole furball of different emotions going on at the same time. And I know that is just, what the heck? 
I feel sorry for you guys sometimes, like, oh God, in your closet. I don't even know what to do right now. Just let her share her feelings with you. God showing us thoughtful reflection, our spouse or an outside agent, all play a part in knowing our thoughts and or our feelings and being able to express them in ways that can lead to better health in ourselves and in our marriage. For her, she needs to be able to express her feelings to you. And guys, for you, sometimes you need to let her help you explore what you're feeling because you're not often always in touch. Yeah. Um, do you want to do the daily temperature reading before you have Ryan and Cole come up, or you want to have them come up first? No, let's have Ryan and Cole come up. They're going to talk to us about their journey with communication. You don't want to start? <laughs> Look at all of you. This is awesome. Um, so we're Team All's House. My name is Ryan. This is my amazing wife, Cole. And um, in a month and a day, we'll be celebrating our 20th anniversary. And, you know, quick side note, we were trying to get out of here in a, in a rush last night to go pick up our kids. But apparently God had a different plan because we were talking to the Barkers, um, Matt and Leanne, and we found out last night that they have exactly the same anniversary. So right back here, 20 years, May 1st. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So we're going to talk a little bit about what we've learned and our, I guess our interpretation of a successful communication. Um, and to start it off, I, I just kept, I keep going back to this verse that we read last night, uh, John 15, 4 and 5. And I won't read the whole thing, but the one part of it that really is sticking with me is, um, I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Um, a couple things. Number one, it's we learn from this scripture that we're connected to Christ. Um, the other thing that's that maybe was a little bit um, new that I kind of gathered from this verse last night is that, uh, that we're the branches. He's the vine. He's kind of like the core holding everything together. And we're out here like doing our thing and being creative um, and really kind of owning the space. And I think about that as I sort of adapt that or apply that in marriage that we know that we're one, right? Two shall become one. Um, and I think about how, you know, we're, it, the way I look at it for Cole is that I want her to be the branches and I want to help her be who, her best self. Um, and the thing with communication is, you know, there's this sort of uh, thing that happens. I always, we, Cole and I, like, when we meet with couples, we always talk about how did you meet, right? But I think I want to change this, the question to what was your life like three months into marriage? Because I think that would be a little more interesting answer. Um, because we know that when we first meet, there's like, we're all buttoned up and we're really, you know, our best self. And we're trying to, we're trying to win the prize is what we're trying to do. Three months into marriage, we're like, oh gosh, what did we do? You know, it's, it's a little different scenario. Um, 
there's sort of the, there's sort of like a notion of you know the honeymoon's is done <laughs> and on that note, I wanted to share one story that, that is exactly that. So we got married. Everything was awesome. We had an amazing uh, wedding. Brian was our officiant. Um, so very much in Calvary Slow our whole life, pretty much, as an adult. We're in Hawaii. Everything's great. Um, there was a couple of things. we I won't get into all that, but we had a couple challenges uh, right away, which was good, healthy. But then we get back from our honeymoon, and I go back to work, literally the first day, I think. I go, I, I realize I'm driving home after work, and I'm like, oh, I don't have any gas, so I'm gonna hit, hit the gas station. Go to the gas station, put my credit card in, eh, denied. I'm like, you gotta be kidding. My initial thought, what is she doing with my money? <laughs> I literally called her up and yelled at her. What did you buy? She's like, honey, we just went on our honeymoon. We spent all the money. You got to wait till we get paid. And I'm like, I was the worst person in the world at that moment. Two things happened to me. Number one, I realized she wasn't the branches anymore. Um, and secondly, I, I realized that I didn't want to be that guy. That's not how I wanted to communicate. That's not how I wanted to um as an as a as a man and as a husband and so I think for for Cole and I we've always sort of really worked on communication and how we respect each other and lift each other up um, I can honestly say that was probably the last time I've ever yelled at her <laughs> um, that's not to say we haven't had heated discussions but it's never been like that um, so Cole's gonna I'm gonna turn it over to her she's gonna tell you a little bit about what she's learned and how um, she's learned about me and how she's learned how to communicate herself, what her needs are, to, and kind of vice back and forth. All right. One of our differences is he loves a microphone and I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm doing my best. Um, so um, one thing I've learned about myself in communication, struggle, conflict, is um, when there's a lot of emotion, I shut down and I don't want to communicate or don't even know how to articulate my feelings. And I think, um, so over the years, I've learned to give myself permission to um, sort of thoughtfully process. And that's what I do is process what I'm struggling with, try to find the root of the issue, and then be able to communicate it effectively. And so I've over the year, the one problem with that, though, is that you can be um, the kind of person that stuffs those feelings. And that's something early on, a few years into marriage, um, I found that that would happen to me. And I would, um, some of the feelings I was struggling with is, I don't want to talk about this anymore. I give up. I don't want to bring it up. I'm just going to let it go. And I felt like in my heart, God was saying, that is the root of bitterness right there. And that is not building a bridge and giving him a chance to hear your heart or to connect or have a deeper understanding. So what I learned is even though I'm the kind of person that needs to process quietly for a while, it sometimes takes me a couple days to work through what are, what's my issue, why am I really upset, why, is this, why am I frustrated, and then, um, then, I get a, then I've learned to come to him. And then some of the effective ways that I've learned to communicate my feelings is just to 
talk about the I statements. I'm struggling with this. I'm not comfortable with this. This is really frustrating me. So I kind of start with that. And I feel like that has been effective with him to be respectful and not be uh, aggressive with my statements, but it makes it more of like a discussion. And I feel like a lot of our conflicts can be resolved in a discussion format where we're working it out together. And then on a high note, something that he's learned and I think that's helped me with my, my com the way that I communicate or the needs that I have in that way, is I always say about him is he's very responsive. And what I mean is he's a good listener. He's, he, doesn't, he doesn't bring a lot of emotion, which is what I need to communicate because I don't like that environment. So he's calm, he's listening, and um, he also responds to what I'm saying. And that is create that um, has helped over the years, and that's sort of the format that we've learned to to bridge communication and resolve some frustrations between us. You did great, okay. ladies and gentlemen. Cole's house <laughs> on a mic. That's awesome. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, love it. So. Um, Again, I think really what the, the point of our whole message, or a quick message here is, is a platform for constructive communication. And it really, it really comes down to that. Like you need to create you know, ways to, to be effective with each other. And, um, and again, we're one, right? So it's like, why would, you, why would you yell at yourself? Or I mean, why would you bring yourself down? Like it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to have challenges. And by the way, We've learned that the challenges that we've had are the same as day one. Like, they're not going away, but what we've learned is how to communicate them better and how to connect better on them. For me, most of the challenges are just me. <laughs> I'm a very, uh, she's very stable. She said to me last night, we were dropping our daughter off at a sleepover with a bunch of girls. She's just like, I can never do that. She's like, Living with me is like living with an insurance adjuster. <laughs> I'm constantly mitigating risk and trying to avoid it at all costs. And I'm probably the exact opposite. I'm a very dynamic person. I play drums. It's a very dynamic field. I surf. You're always responding. It's very, very dynamic. Um, and so I, I need that. But the, the challenge for me is that because she's so stable and she like she says, she internalizes things, I could easily just bulldoze that. And that's my fight, is not to do that. And I, I don't always win, to be honest. I probably lose more than I win, if I'm really being honest about it. But I appreciate that about her, and I, I don't want to, I will always want to, I want her to be the branches. And so, you know, find out what your challenge is, figure out how to communicate, figure out how to listen, um, and figure out how to help your spouse be the branches. There we go. Amen. Are you sure you guys don't want to just take it from here? That was great. I love the, the comments about making I statements and making about it about you. It's always safer to approach some, your spouse with, I have a problem. 
because then they're helping you work through your problem, right? Um, that was great. Okay, so um, let's look at the daily temperature reading first. This is just a, a take home. So if you want to pull that out. Uh, the daily temperature reading, I, you know, I've been doing some form of counseling for over 40 plus years. And in the area of being able to encompass the different levels of effective communication, I have never found anything that does all of that in a simple and usable and applicable way like the daily temperature reading. That's how stoked I am about this. Our marriage mentors have gained an appreciation for this one also. Um, I'm just going to give a spoiler alert, though. It, it can feel dopey. Right. It's one Remember, of those exercises that can feel silly. Again, we're changing the swing. We're changing the approach, and it may feel a little stricter. Look at, the, look at these things. <clears throat> the appreciation, which there's another exercise to help build that. New information. You can get assumptions if you're not processing giving each other new information. And it can be anything from, hey, we finally got a new account executive. Or a new, what was that term you used, Ryan, Nicole? What'd you say? An insurance adjuster. <laughs> yeah, hopefully you're not going to get a new insurance adjuster. Um, let your partner in on your life. And then listen to the news your partner shares. Constantly share new information. Uh, puzzles. This is a little deeper. Uh, being able to, to ask each other something you don't understand, but maybe your partner can explain. This goes both ways. Uh, why were you so down last night? Uh, or voice concern about yourself. I don't know why I got so angry when I was balancing the checkbook yesterday. If you even do balancing checkbooks. That's an old, you can tell it's an old exercise. You're going to have to update this. When you were doing it online on your spreadsheet, right? Okay, there you go. Um, the complaint with request, with request will go into more a little bit later when we do the difference between uh, complaint and criticism. But it's really important that you uh, couple a complaint with a request for a change. Does that make sense? Um, you're not passing condemnation, but you're simply voicing something that is bothering you. For instance, when you clean the top of the stove, please dry it with a towel if you don't it leaves streaks. Your response, depending on whether you're defensive or other things, we'll talk about. But the ability to voice complaints without any heat on either side is a very difficult but needful skill for you to develop. And then finally, sharing your hopes. Like with all this rain, I'm sure you might have said, man, I sure hope it's sunny sometime this week. <laughs> I really want to see the sun. We don't live in Portland, but it sure felt like that. Um, or I'd love this, like Vicki and I were talking uh, this morning coming up. She would love to just take two or three weeks and travel all over the country. Or a month or two. <laughs> right. And just visit relatives and friends. What? Did I miss something? Right. <laughs> I got it. Um, so... Visiting relatives and people we know all across the country. We'd have free hotel rooms in most of those places because they live in all these great cities. So we could stay with them. And I got it. Um, and we shared our differences of how we might approach that. So it's just sharing these hopes in general conversation. 
making this part of your, at least once every three days, you're practicing one of these things. And so if you want to download this on your computer, when you open it up, it's on your desktop. Um, you can look it up and download it. Um, or just put it on their fridge, put it on your toilet. Um, put it where you're going to be, different points of the day, where you have some time to think. Um, and guys, you know about that, right? If you're sitting on that throne reading or, you know, TMI, taking honey, time, TMI, TMI. Okay, TMI. TMI. Um, but the point is, if you can take this and put it in different places where you're going to remember to incorporate this by a text. You can even do this in a text. Hey, by the way, just found out at my job today, new information. Or, um, you know, as you're driving home, hey, man, surf's up tonight. I'm going to want to go surfing. That's new information that might be critical to share with your spouse, whether you're informing your husband you're going to go surfing or <laughs> your wife. Um, However, so you, if the majority of your communication is via text, please call us. Yeah, right. But we understand what it's like. These are the kind of things that are helpful. So I just can't say, I can't say enough about this. I hope that you incorporate this into uh, your things. So let's look at a couple of exercises. Um, First of all, just look at the five love languages that are here. And um, this is a way of understanding your wife's language or your husband's language. Uh, maybe you know what your primary love languages are. Maybe you've never done this. Maybe you need to get reacquainted with it. I just suggest take it home, use it, because think about this. When you, when, let's say when, when, when if, you're, if you're a believer here, when God spoke to you about his love and who he was and what your place was with him, he spoke it in a language you understood. He spoke to your understanding of what love meant. He didn't speak to you, let's say, in Chinese. You would have missed it, and that would have been it, Right? So think about this with your spouse. If you're able to understand how they interpret love, and even though it may not be what you speak, see, that's the point. Become versed in his or her language and speak it with the actions. Does that make sense? So uh, I would encourage you to do that. But for right now, for doing an exercise together, um, why don't you choose? Ah, sorry, guys. It's just way too close is the problem, I'll bet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can't even know where I'm at with this. Well, I'll, I'll carry on. This, we're going to take, like, maybe the next 10 minutes. Focus on this couple's communication inventory. Fill it out for yourself as best you can. And uh, if you can't get through both sides, choose maybe three questions, three different ones, and complete those three. Choose them together so that you have answered the same question. And is ready to rip it apart, like all guys do. If it doesn't work, squeeze it harder. Okay, Vicki and I are going to have a little fun right now, real quick, before we go into healthy marriage habits. 
we're going to give you some communication examples and uh, see where you might relate. Maybe some of the answers might be in your mind when these things happen. But uh, there you go. So go ahead, babe. Okay, so we're going to play a little game. <clears throat> we're going to read some um, sample communications and give you three options for what the appropriate response should be. Okay, so go ahead and I guess shout out what you think the right answer is. All right, here's the first one. For gals, the anniversary of your first date is coming up. You have always remembered it and it's important to you, but your partner often forgets. So you, A, wait to see if he'll remember, B, drop hints, C, remind him. Okay, what, what, should, what, should what would you be do? the most thoughtful as you How think How many of you think it? A is the answer? Okay, B. C. Okay, C wins. Remind him. Um, okay. Reason being... <clears throat> we don't have to explain it. Okay, we don't have to explain it. All right. These are just rough examples. Yeah, what you... What do you think the wisest response would be? Yeah, what's the wisest response? Be? How might you respond? What would be thoughtful? When you're, this is me. When your wife is in a bad mood, you are likely to ask whether she's getting her period. <laughs> Any guy that lifts up their hands for A, we do have special help for you. You may think it, though. That's okay to think it. It's what you do with your thoughts that matters, right? Yes. Yes. Leave her alone until she gets better. Ask her what's wrong. Guys? All right. Okay, gals. He really hurt your feelings. Do you, A... Tell him. He no. really hurt your feelings, women. So do you, A, tell him so, B, give him the cold shoulder for a while, or C, lash out and hurt him back? <laughs> we laugh, but honestly, you know, how many, how, how many times have we pondered other options? Yes. It's about what you think the wisest response would be. <laughs> yeah, I could see where that would go. <laughs> okay, guys. For the second time this week, you find that she didn't run an errand as she had promised. Annoyed, you tell her how much it irritates you and do it yourself. Sulk a bit and ask her to do it tomorrow. Forget to do something for her next time, she asks. <laughs> That's good. Okay. So, guys, what do you think? 
How much it, tell her how much it irritates you and do it yourself. Pout a bit and ask her to do it tomorrow. Or C, forget to do something for her next time she asks. You see? It's, it's never exactly correct, is it? All right, babe, go ahead. Okay, last one for the girls. You had an unsuccessful job interview at lunchtime, and you're very upset. <clears throat> when you see your husband later that evening, he looks downcast. You, A, wait until he's in a better mood to tell him about it. B, tell him you didn't get the job, but try to hide your emotional reaction. Or C, begin pouring out your story the moment you see him. How many think C? B. A. Yeah, we'll reread those. We had it. Well, never mind. Go ahead. It's your Re turn. Reread them. She, somebody asked you to reread. Oh, them. the the A A was wait until he's in a better mood to tell him about it, or B tell him you didn't get the job but try to hide your emotional reaction, or C begin pouring out your story the moment you see him, and you guys all voted mostly for A. Wait until he's in a better mood to tell him. Okay, guys, last one. Let's see if we can redeem ourselves. You're in a romantic mood. But when you reach out for her, she just yawns. You feel rejected and say, Phew, it's cold in here. I didn't make these up, by the way. <laughs> Don't look at me. Gosh, there are some... Mm. Guys, this didn't happen in our marriage. Ask her why she isn't responding. <laughs> Let her know your desires, but adjust if she's not in sync. Come on, guys. You're What's not the being answer? graded. All right. There you go. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, where's, my, where's our timer thing? Do I have it? You got it. All right. So let's go ahead and shift gears and let's look at in your packet uh, for healthy marriage habits, warning signs, and conflict. Yeah. So I'm going to start out with the macro here again. So I'm just going to do a, a larger viewpoint here really quickly. Um, let me ask you a question, and it's on, on, your, on your paperwork. What's your attitude and thought process when you have conflict? What happens in your mind? What are your thoughts and emotions when conflict arises? That's an important question, only because how you, how you respond. Remember that automatic response? will determine, to some degree, what the outcome might happen within that process. So you have to understand, what do you think about it? And what happens when it arises? Um, where does the past influence your ability to work through conflict as a couple? That's another important question to talk about with each other, not during the conflict, <laughs> but beforehand or afterhand, you know, afterwards, 
being able to be able to start again assessing how much the power of the past has a negative or positive influence and make changes accordingly. So in a larger view, we have to understand sometimes in, in, our, in our place with, with God, from his vantage point, we're in conflict with him. And he's in conflict with us. Remember uh, the, the scripture in Romans here, it says, for, for if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through, his, through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life. Now, God was in conflict with us, but again, even though we were enemies, he still reached out to bring reconciliation. Even as children, and this is an important distinction here, because in discipline or correction, and I'll read the scripture, um, if you struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take lightly the discipline of the Lord. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. It's easy, isn't it? For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son he receives. So endure suffering as, as discipline. God is treating you as sons. And he goes on to explain, you know, as you were brought up, weren't you disciplined by your father? And sometimes it wasn't good, but it produced a fruit that was really uh, powerful. You know, sometimes that's not true in our relational past, and I understand that. But in general, God does not discipline us. In this confrontational place, he doesn't discipline us. He disciplines us in a way, in a family way. And this is important in conflict between couples. Remember, you are partners together. And what's really necessary to understand is she is not just your wife, he is not just your husband, but he is also your brother in Christ and she is your sister in Christ. There's all kinds of commandments about one another's in the, in the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, that are applicable to your relationship. Sometimes we just get so focused because I'm married to this person, I'm so familiar with them, we lose sight of the larger responsibility that she's my family and, and, and my wife is God's daughter. How I treat God's daughter is really crucial in this conflict. What kind of attitude am I going to have? And vice versa. So understand that in family ways, God treats conflict in a different way than he did with us when we were unbelievers. And thirdly, um, just the story in Acts 15 about conflict arising when both are right. <laughs> After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, and this is, they've already gone on one missionary journey together. They were called by God to go out and proclaim the gospel together. Separate to me, God said through a prophetic word, separate unto me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work of service that I have for them. And they prayed and sent them out. So this is the second time they're getting ready to go on another journey. And Paul says to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters, believers, in every city where we preach the message of the Lord and see how they're doing. 
Now Barnabas wanted to take his cousin John, who was called Mark, along with them. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take along with them the one who had quit and deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. And it became such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas, uh, who was again in Antioch, and set out on the second journey. Now, it's interesting. This argument in, in the Greek is never used anywhere else, but in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this idea of uh, separating um, and the language there is used about the wrath of God. So these guys got hot with each other. I mean, violently angry with each other. They were both right. It was a difference of belief systems and personality that caused this division. Paul was, we need to move forward. We, this is a goal. We cannot deviate from the goal. It has to be done. And we don't want, you know, John Mark at this point was a very young man, 16, 17, probably didn't even realize halfway through the, the first journey, oh, I can't take this. I've got to go home and be with mom and dad. This isn't doing it for me. And left. Paul looks at it as, look, you, you bailed on us. You're done. That's it. We're moving on. This has to be. And Barnabas is a different kind of guy. He was called the son of encouragement. And so he, he wanted to give a second and third chance. And that was his viewpoint. Both were right. But in essence, they were both wrong in how it actually proved to be separation. And really, the end of the story is later on, John Mark happened to be the one that wrote the book of Mark that we have in the Gospels. And actually, later on, we can see Paul softened probably with age, he probably figured out I don't need to be such a bulldog because in one of his letters he says, uh, make sure you bring John Mark with you. He's one of my best friends. So we can see sometimes we need uh, a healing sometimes in our personality differences when we're broken in one area, our viewpoints. So Another key to remember when you are both right, you know, you're both so convinced that where your position is the correct one, remembering that you have two different perspectives. In, in the kingdom economy, it's more important to love than to be right. Sometimes that's a hard reality because we want to win, in a sense, the argument. We want our position to be validated but to the Lord, that's not the biggest issue. It's more important that we love each other through that than to decide necessarily whose position is the correct one. Good point, babe. Okay, so let's just take a quick glance at healthy marriage habits because, again, we've talked about uh, the first one being a high level of friendship, respect, affection, and humor. Um, again, going back over why friendship is so important as being you know, defined by studies, um, it's doing things together, showing an interest and respect for each other's thoughts and feelings. Um, friends tend not to uh, exhibit put-downs. Uh, they tend to support each other's goals and aspirations. Uh, a brotherly affection. This is where uh, that is the word uh, uh, where we get the city of Philadelphia. 
which if you're a sports fan in Philadelphia, it seems counterproductive. I mean, they just hate their sports guys. Um, but the Greek word is Philadelphios, which is a friendship, a brotherly affection. Um, and so feeling affection for one another, having fun, laughing together, being number one in each other's eyes, that's a huge healthy habit to continue to foster. Colossians 4, 6 talks about letting your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. The minimum ratio of positive comments to overcome a negative comment is 5 to 1. Some researchers say 10 to 1. It takes 10 positive comments or affirmations or exchanges, pleasantries, to overcome one negative. That's an important rule of thumb in all of our relationships. <clears throat> um, successful bids for attention. Um, <clears throat> when your wife says, hey, listen to this, what is she asking? What is she looking for? Your attention for a conversation. If we keep reading the paper, let me read the paper again, this is an old exercise. If you're you know, just sticking your nose in our computer, we're turning away her bid for, for attention. If we even just say, huh? Lift our eyes and look, we're basically signaling for a second or two, we're actually turning towards her, where it's a good sign. Uh, it may not be exactly what she's looking for. You know, we'd, okay, I'm listening. You know, maybe that's what she wants, but we're, oh, yeah, what? That's just part of the a style. Each couple has differences within that. There's connection. Um, obviously, if you can see the statistics there, 86% of the time in successful marriages, um, th this, there's success rate. There's, there's success in, in bids for attention, 33% or less in uh, divorcing couples, couples that are heading towards divorce. Proverbs 15.1 is the scripture, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Um, it's so, again, important, and we're going to kind of go over this point a number of times in the next few minutes, but yeah. how we respond to one another can make the difference between whether an exchange escalates into something <coughs> more intense and ugly or calms things down. Uh, and I'm sure you know, so many of you can nod your heads and agree with that. You've all experienced the truth of that. Sorry. Um, Ephesians, before it even talks about husbands and wives in the book of Ephesians and, and their, their structure uh, in their marriage, it says in Ephesians 5.21 to submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. Um, and so this is something that, again, I've, I've learned to practice this, and I've learned that it really bears a lot of fruit, is being able to accept influence from Vicki. That means her thoughts or opinions matter to me. And if she has advice, I allow it to influence me. I allow it to have an effect of change in my thinking or maybe in action. Um, this is a learned behavior. Um, depending on how you were raised, uh, affects your ability to do this as men. Um, I just would encourage you men to think about this in the process of the weekend as we go through other things. Um, but I can honestly say 
it's deepened our relationship and it's um, kept me from blowing my legs off unnecessarily by proceeding on, by not listening to her. And it doesn't mean that every time I suggest something or have a comment he's going to do or respond the way I want him to. But just knowing that he's considering what I've said and he'll tell me, well, I don't know, but I'll think about that. Just knowing that he's willing to consider it goes a long way for me. Partners are aware of and respect the other's needs, likes, dislikes, and their inner life. Romans 12, 10 is one of, another one of the one another's. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Um, it's just so important, again, to, to add value to your, to your mate's likes, dislikes, preferences. Um, it's just so important to acknowledge those, respect them, conduct your life thinking of the other person. It's thoughtful. You know, Scripture even talks about that, you know, married people have to be concerned, in a sense, about the things of the world where it, con where it concerns their mate. And that's so true. I will often do things, Gunther will often do things or not do them just based on how we know the other person will respond or what we know the other person's preferences are. And lastly, um, and again, there's probably more healthy marriage habits. These are not a complete list, but Colossians, Paul says, you know, by, by the scripture says, forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. I think as we experience forgiveness in a more complete way, this will be a natural outflow. It just doesn't spring into life by itself. You cannot work it up. You cannot fake it. And um, I think it's important that as we quickly keep short accounts of past wrongs, this is a part of what forgiveness looks like. Um, when we harbor it, uh, it's, it's, a lot, it's a lot more deadly to us because it produces poison. Uh, a lot of studies have been shown that people that are in bitterness have a shorter lifespan, suffer more disease, have more psychological uh, manifestations that are not healthy. Um, plenty of studies on that, um, not even being a doctor or anything close to that. So, uh, but I think it's important to understand something, and we'll go more into it, but... The difference between forgiveness and trust can be as wide as the Grand Canyon. You have to be able to even say, God, give me the ability to give forgiveness in this situation. And it can be family members, can be just in your marriage, but it can also be an outside. But the ability to build trust back, especially if it's a serious breach, that needs, we need to allow time for that to grow again without demanding that forgiveness and trust immediately happen, that they go together, okay? Does that make sense? Not heads, if that's something that, it's a hard concept, and it, it's detailed, but I, we can't go into details about that, so. Okay. <clears throat> this, we're gonna dig a little deeper now um, into some, what we would consider warning signs. And we want to give a huge nod to Dr. John Gottman. A lot of the materials that we are presenting here or have borrowed from, we utilize regularly in our counseling. Um, Dr. Gottman and his wife are located in Seattle, and they have what they call a love laboratory. 
and it's a, an apartment that's set up, and couples come and stay in there uh, in the lab over overnight or for a weekend, and there are cameras in every every room of the apartment but the loo. The cameras are on from, I think, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m., something like that. And he has literally observed thousands of couples, and he can predict within five minutes whether a couple is destined to stay together or not. It's just really fascinating based on his research, and it's proved true. Uh, he was one of the ones that basically revolutionized the whole thought of friendship is actually the best foundation for a relationship as opposed to communication. Again, not that communication is bad. But anyway, the, this material, The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, is based on his research. And these are warning signs that he looks for in a marriage relationship. Now, honestly, most of us have visited one or more of these places at different times in our relationship. It doesn't mean that you're destined for divorce, okay? But they are warning signs. They're things to take seriously and course correct if you begin to notice them in your relationship. So that's why he calls them the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They bring not good things with them, all right? Um, the first horseman, do you have something to say? Uh, no, that's okay. Go okay. Uh, criticism. Let's just read this together and I'll comment a little bit. Um, you will always have some complaints, right, about the person that you live with. We talked about that. Right? Every single Complaint. thing that I or Gunther do, we're not necessarily stoked on, all right? But there's a world of difference between a complaint and a criticism. A complaint addresses the specific action in which you perceive your spouse has failed. Criticism is hurtfully more comprehensive. It adds on some negative words about your mate's character. So you go from, I don't like that, or that bothered me, to, in a sense, attacking the character of your mate. Uh, I'm really angry that you didn't sweep the kitchen floor last night. We agreed that we take turns doing it is a complaint. It's just a statement. You're sharing something that you agreed on and how you feel about it. Why are you so forgetful? I hate having to always sweep the kitchen floor when it's your turn. You just don't care is a criticism. You see the difference? There's an edginess to it. A complaint focuses on a specific behavior, but a criticism ups the ante by throwing in blame and general character assassination. Here's a recipe. To turn any complaint into a criticism, just add the common line, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Remember we Ouch. talked about the, the what? Here's where the what doesn't work well. <laughs> yeah. Usually a harsh startup comes in the guise of a criticism. Okay. If you hear yourself or your spouse in these criticisms, you have plenty of company. See, we've all done it at some time or another. The first horseman is very common in relationships, so if you find that you or your spouse are crit critical of each other, don't assume you're headed for divorce. The problem with criticism is that when it becomes pervasive, it paves the way for the other far deadlier horsemen. Now, I'm going to add one of Vicky's little antidotes to criticism. Okay, when I, and I, I learned, someone shared this with me early on in my marriage. Uh, one of our differences, I tend to be neat to the point of OCD. Gunther doesn't have that problem. 
So uh, the fact that he isn't neat to the degree that I would like him to be has caused some issues. And I would find myself complaining to him and then sometimes even in my prayers about him. What a friend suggested to me at one point was, why don't you turn your criticism into a gratitude? How do you do that? Okay, I'm irritated at him because he has thrown his clothes on the floor next to the hamper. <laughs> Four times, more times than I can count. Okay, here's, sometimes you gotta stretch. You really gotta stretch to, to turn that into a gratitude. But I found my, I would say, okay, Lord, <laughs> I'm gonna be honest, this really bugs me, Father, but I'm so thankful that I have this husband who throws his clothes on the floor next to the hamper. I would rather have that than not have him. Do you see? So finding a way to take that criticism and turn it into a gratitude and be grateful about it, sometimes for me it helps even saying it out loud because I need to hear, my subconscious needs to hear what I'm saying. That helps me. So that's my challenge. Take your criticisms and turn them into a gratitude. There's a passage of scripture that says, when the ox stall doesn't have any animals, it's clean. But when the ox are there, you have a lot of increase. Yeah, you may clean up the poop, but she's glad she's got an ox that brings increase. I am. I'm not ratting him out. He has plenty of counter stories he could tell you. Trust well, no, me. No, no, it does. No, no. I'm. I'm I, the next horseman is contempt. No, no, Vicky, remember we're going to do the criticisms. Oh, sorry. The things. Okay. So, let me give a few more examples of the difference between a complaint and criticism. Uh, this is also in your handouts. Okay. So the I, complaint could I, be. I'm doing G. Remember, I'm doing this one. I'm doing the whole thing. Oh, got it. Go ahead, babe. I'm sorry. Okay. So the complaint is, this is classically wife, right? There's no gas in the car. Why didn't you fill it up like you said you would? Complaint. Now here's the edgy criticism. Why can't you ever remember anything? I told you a thousand times to fill up the tank, and you didn't. My complaint. Especially when we, it's not, whew, it's cold in here. This is another part of that conversation, hopefully. You should have told me earlier that you're too tired to make love. I'm, I'm really disappointed, and I feel embarrassed. Criticism? Why are you always so selfish? It was really nasty of you to lead me on. You should have told me earlier that you were too tired to make love. Complaint. You were supposed to check with me before inviting anyone over for dinner. I wanted to spend time alone with you tonight. Criticism. Why do you keep putting your friends ahead of me? I always come last on your list. We were supposed to have dinner alone tonight. Sometimes it's overt, sometimes it's subtle, isn't it? Self-evaluation is really critical here. Really critical. Okay. So... Moving on to the next horseman, contempt. Contempt is evidenced in sarcasm and cynicism. 
Also name calling, eye rolling, sneering, mockery, and hostile humor. In whatever form, contempt, the worst of the four horsemen is poisonous to any relationship because it conveys disgust. It's virtually impossible to resolve a problem when your partner is getting the message you're disgusted with him or her. Inevitably, contempt leads to more conflict rather than reconciliation. Research has shown that couples who are contemptuous of each other are more likely to suffer from infectious illnesses, colds, flu, and the like, than other people. Contempt is fueled by long, simmering negative thoughts about the partner. You're more likely to have such thoughts if your differences are not moving forward past the issue, whether through compromise or resolution. No doubt the first time an argument comes up about money, we're not disrespectful. We offer a single complaint like, I think you should wash your own car. It costs too much to have someone else wash it. But as we keep disagreeing about it, our complaints can turn into criticism, such as, you always spend too much money. And when the conflict continues, we might fall into feeling more and more disgusted and fed up. Belligerence, which is a close cousin to contempt, is just as deadly to a relationship. It's a form of aggressive anger because it contains a threat or provocation. When a wife complains that her husband doesn't come home from work in time for dinner, a belligerent response would be, well, what are you going to do about it? Challenge. Now, I just want to add one more thing before we do our example, and that is that early on in our relationship, Gunther and I, when we said our vows to each other, we decided, okay, this is lifetime. Do or die, there's no backsies, there's no outsies, this is it. So we're going to have to make the best with what we've got. We made a decision never to use the D word. We weren't going to joke about it. It wasn't, it wasn't funny. We weren't going to threaten. It just was off the table. So if we faced serious issues, it was going to be us to work to fix it. In that, we also decided early on to mind our manners, something that came from my upbringing. Manners were very important. Saying please to each other. Thank you to each other. You're welcome. Asking a question graciously. Acknowledging it graciously. We were not going to call names. You're stupid. You're an idiot. We were not going to do that. So the, the way that that's helped us moving forward is we'll call each other on it. Have we ever been tempted to do those things? Yes. Have I never rolled my eyes at my husband? I'd like to say yes, but it's happened. So we call each other up. And in our household, that's not legal. And we both know it. It's, been, it's helped us moving forward. Okay, examples. Okay. Um, as we go through this skit together, it's kind of like when you watch a show that has something happening to horses or other animals. We want to voice this. Our, our marriage was not damaged by doing this skit. No real damage was done. I'll be honest, I don't like these role plays. I, just, I don't like the space it puts me in, but it's good. All right, listen to how this sounds. Remember, she was talking about the cars. Just look at the difference in our vehicles and our clothes. And this is about spending money. Just look at the difference in our vehicles and our clothes. I think it says a lot for who we are and what we value. I mean, you tease me about washing my truck, and you go and pay to have somebody wash your car. We're paying through the nose for your car, and you can't be bothered to wash it. I think it's outrageous 
I think that's probably the most spoiled thing that you do. But it's harder for me to do it than it would be for you. Hey, look, I take care of my truck because if you take care of it, it'll last longer. I don't come from the mentality of, ah, just go out and buy a new one that you seem to. Well, if you would help me wash my car, I'd really appreciate that. That would be great. I'd love it. Well, how many times, though, have you really helped me wash my truck? I'll help you wash your truck if you help me wash my car. That's not the question. How many times have you helped me? Never. See? That's where I think you have a little responsibility, too. It's like, if you know your dad bought you a house, would you expect him to come over and paint it for you, too? Wow. Okay. See, I, I just knew it. You see, I, I wanted to play the bad one here because... <laughs> Man, okay, have I lost some friends in this room among you women? I, this really didn't happen. Why do we do this? We want you to be able to recognize any hints or seeds that are starting to lay down and start getting some roots. And make some course corrections. That's why these are warning signs. Okay, guys? It does literally say in the word that bitterness rots your bones. Literally rots your bone marrow. Yeah, see that there's no bitter root, root of bitterness in you that defiles you. Hebrews, just a couple of scriptures. Okay, um, the next one is, is defensiveness. Um, and, uh, you know, guys, I'm not trying to bag on you, but this is something that guys tend to do uh, a lot of, and that's why I'm doing this one. Um, it's, 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 this action, or more accurately, a reaction, it's a real slippery slope. It's hard to define. And so it can, be, it can become under a lot of guises, and that's why I'm, I'm sort of parsing this out a little bit for us. Uh, a noted PhD, Nathan Cobb, gives some examples of these phrases under the heading of what he calls blocking language that indicates defensiveness. So just, just listen and see if this might be some of your self-talk. Yes, but what about when you, no, that's not true. I don't think so. At least I'm not. That's ridiculous. I won't accept that. Well, you're one to talk. I don't agree. And here's a number one. You're blowing it out of proportion. We can become defensive for various reasons. Sometimes it's because we feel unsafe, unloved, or unsupported. And so naturally, our first reaction is to protect ourselves. And although it's understandable that we do that, research shows kind of like that truck incident. She, she well, I, you know, and I just bulldozed her. You know, it, research shows, and it's extensive research, that defensiveness, even though it may be justified, does not really help. In fact, like I said, the attacking spouse doesn't back down. That's because defensiveness is really a subtle way of blaming your partner. I know this is hard. You're saying, in effect, the problem isn't me, it's you. And that comes across. Um, another source of defensiveness is the need to justify ourselves because we believe we have the right to have a superior 
position in the conflict. So we try these defensive moves like counterattack, trivialize, trivialize their concerns, correct the way, the way they said it. We deceive ourselves into thinking, win this battle. Have you ever thought about that in your conflict? You may not even maybe recognize it, but you're saying, I'm going to win this one, <laughs> right? When you recognize, maybe if you're feeling defensive, it's good to say something about it. And, and again, this takes courage. It also takes um, uh, the ability to recognize yourself. But maybe after taking a deep breath and say, all right, I think I'm feeling defensive. I think it's because I feel misunderstood or criticized. Can you give me a minute? Happened this morning coming here. Uh, what did you say about What was it about? You remember what it was? I forgave you, so I forgot. Oh! There you go. But I got defensive. And, and I said, and I recognized, I said, you know, I'm really sorry. That, you know, that, I don't, I reacted. I, and she said, yeah, it was just a statement. You know, you, it wasn't anything. And it, it was my own insecurities. But what a good wife. No, I, I, I'm not trying to be funny. I literally don't remember what it was about. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, or... Look, I realize I want to justify myself and maybe even attack you right now, but that's not going to solve the issue. Give me a minute to own my part in this. Just a, these are just counter, counter. We're using something positive or vulnerability to be able to do that. And Later on, obviously, when you've both cooled down, it's important to reflect on what's bringing on such a defensive reaction. Remember we talked about looking back on your belief systems or your reactions. Um, you might even be able to ask your spouse to help in the process. <laughs> and again, that, that's a level of trust, isn't it? That's a level of believing that they're your best friend, that they're going to talk in gentle ways to point this out, right? Okay. Okay, so here's a little defensiveness scenario. Gunther, can you please close the lid on the garbage in the, in the garage? I'm worried because I'm noticing ants again. Instead of responding directly to this complaint, I say, gee, Vicki, it's curious that you would say that because I was just going to ask the same thing about you. Mm. You see, I'm, I'm, I'm making enemies of you women. I can tell. Gosh, forgive me. <laughs> or, I think you're being a tad unreasonable here. You know that's impossibly, impossible for me to check every little thing giving given my current work schedule. Or, I'm afraid that wasn't me who didn't close the lid, it was you. Or, you should be lucky I take out the garbage. <laughs> yeah, you're laughing, guys, because you've probably thought the same thing or said it. Or maybe I'm even harsher in my defensiveness with responses such as, Vicki, I'm really tired of your constant complaining and fault-finding. Maybe you should look in the mirror. Or, I can't believe you have the nerve to complain to me about the garbage after all the things I do for you around here. Okay. I told you this was tough, guys. 
sometimes it's not really what even comes out of our mouths, but you know, watching again, what we do with our thoughts, right? Some of these things can shoot across your brain. You may not actually verbalize them, but ooh. Okay. I'm sorry, guys. Stonewalling was the one guys mostly do, which is why I'm doing this. Defensiveness can be equal proportion, so I just wanted to correct that. So stonewalling is defined in the dictionary by this, to engage in delaying tactics, to stall, to refuse to answer or cooperate. In a marriage, it's experienced by one partner in an emotional detachment from their spouse and is interpreted by the other spouse as abandonment. When we start our discussions with a very harsh startup, where criticism and contempt to lead to defensiveness, which leads to more contempt and defensiveness, eventually one partner tunes out. This is the arrival of that fourth husband. Um, Horseman. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> Just to be clear, I only have one husband. <laughs> All right. To save time, I'm not going to read the rest of this. We're going to play it out in a skit, okay? Because we're running short on time because of our mistake. So... This is the stance that can happen in here. And we're playing a role here again, guys. This did not actually happen, okay? I say, you know, because we're talking about when we go out to our... We're talking and arguing about each other's behavior at parties when we go and have some fun with friends. I say to her, you ate way too much last night again. This happens every time we get together with friends. And I have to say the same thing over and over again after these parties. You embarrassed me by correcting me in front of my friends. Well, now I've become the problem again, haven't I? I've started off with the complaint, but now I'm the problem. This always seems to happen. Yeah, I do that, I know. But your tantrums and childishness are an embarrassment to me. And my friends. You know, if you would only control your eating at parties, please. Well, because I, I think, <laughs> for the most part, we, we get along pretty well. Really? Really? Huh. Don't you think? Vicki? Hello? I think one distinction that's important to make, and Cole touched on this uh, briefly when they were talking about their communication, and um, there are times, and it, it happens, this is my personality, when, when emotions are high and they're, you know, we're trying to work through something, I can get flooded um, for a couple reasons. Number one, I'll shut down because I'm afraid I don't want to rip off his head and scream down the hall. So that, that's one factor. Okay. But the other factor is... Did you just call me something, a-hole? No, I did not. All right, anyway. 
the other is that literally I have so many emotions and feelings going through my heart and my brain. I, I can't connect my mouth to my, to, I mean, it's like everything just goes, Boom. and I literally cannot respond. And there have been times when it, it appeared as if I was stonewalling, but the, rea but the reality is I, I, can't, I, I can't get it. I'm just, I'm flatlining. And we call that being flooded. So sometimes, sometimes, and I have the ability to stonewall as well. Just, I'm done with you, I'm over this conversation, which is so unhealthy. But when I'm flooded, I've learned to say to him, I can't, I can't respond right now. I literally cannot respond. I'm flooded and I need to just back away. Uh, for us, you know, I think it was so healthy when the Alzheimer's talked about that when that happens, they do come back together and discuss the issue. What's dangerous is that you get flooded, so you stuff it and you never visit it again until it circles the next time and it's even bigger, right? So um, that's just one distinction I wanted to point out because sometimes it may feel like someone's stonewalling, but that individual might actually be flooded. And if that's you, it's important to tell your spouse, I'm flooded right now. So I need 10 minutes, I need an hour, I need whatever. But then agree at that moment that you are going to circle back and have the discussion, because it needs to happen. And it's funny, it's like all of a sudden, it's like when back in the old days when you could flood your car you need for that to work itself out. And then all of a sudden, oh, it, the engine works. Same with your thoughts. Okay. Um, for time's sake, we're going to go over solving your solvable problems. And I'm going to skim through this a little bit, um, only because uh, due to an unintended error, we actually are about 10 minutes behind. So I'm going to try to go through this. Because uh, th we talk about this, by the way, in this uh, arena. And again, um, there's two categories uh, that uh, our conflicts fall into, solvable and perpetual. Um, perpetual means it comes up over and over again, and recognizing the differences is really, really important. Um, they're never going to disappear because of different fundamental differences, beliefs, personality, and gender. Uh, maybe she wants to have a baby, but he doesn't want children. He hates clutter. Well, in this case, she hates clutter. But uh, she's a pack rat. She wants a religious home, but he's an atheist. Um, these conflicts, every, we all have them, but we don't have to solve these perpetual problems. That may be news to you, but we don't have to solve those, okay? Um, you just learn to have to work through them, which we'll talk about when we go into dreams uh, and desires, because those are really important and aspect to that. So, uh, here is identifying solvable problems, okay? The difference between a solvable or a perpetual, and this will help you determine when you have to give energy to a conflict and when you need to back off from putting too much energy into something that you want resolved, but isn't going to get resolved to your satisfaction, okay? Um, the first step is to find out if this particular is. Perpetual issues tend to re represent deeper issues within a marriage. Characteristics of a perpetual problem include, and just take note and think about this for yourself, does the conflict make you feel rejected by your partner? That's a sign of 
a perpetual issue. You keep talking about it together, but you're not making any headway. You both become entrenched in your right positions, and you're unwilling to budge. When you begin to discuss the issue, you end up feeling frustrated and hurt. And this is pervasive. I'm not, again, this is over the same subject, these things happen, not just once in a while, because it's going to happen, but on an ongoing basis. Your conversations about the issue are completely lacking in humor, amusement, or affection. You feel determined not to budge from your position, and then we can begin to vilify or belittle each other during the conversation, kind of like we talked about in the Four Horsemen here. When you hear that conversation, we become stuck in that position, much less willing to budge, and eventually you even begin to disengage from each other emotionally when the subject comes up. Okay? It's a gridlock, perpetual issue, and we'll talk about that in Dreams and Desires. If your conflict is a lot less painful than the situation described above, it's probably solvable. Um, usually conflicts like solvables focus on a particularly problematic situation. They're usually fueled by events rather than an underlying conflict in belief, personality, gender, or a dream or a desire. Um, kind of give some thought to your marriage moving forward. Which ones may be solvable? Um, for imagine example, imagine one of your conflicts is that your spouse always leaves dirty dishes in the sink when it's his night to do the dishes and you can't stand it. You get upset for him leaving a mess and he gets upset for you throwing a fit. You argue until your spouse stomps off to the other room or gives you the silent treatment. I know it's never happened to you guys, but this is just an example. It happens to other couples. If just washing the dishes would keep you from having a big fight, this problem is solvable. It's situational. It only occurs when the dishes are dirty. Right? Think about it. If when you argue, you call your spouse lazy or accuse them of or her not doing their fair share around the house, and they call you a, you know, a slave driver, taskmaster, and accuse you of nagging, the problem may be perpetual because you turn each other into villains. You're not really arguing over the dishes, are you? You're arguing about deeper values, about work, order, and responsibilities in the home. Does that touch any bells? Yeah, good. So here's what's really another point that Dr. Gottman brings up about this is softening how you begin the conflict, especially in a solvable problem. According to his research, 96% of arguments end on the same note they begin. Whew, that stunned me. That absolutely stunned me. So if you sling the arrow, that's how it's going to end up, 96% of the time. However, if you begin with a soft approach starting out, you have a 96% chance of having it end that way. That's what he's saying here. That's amazing. Here's some ways to maybe think about softening your startup. Remember, we talked about complaining and don't blame. This is what blaming tends to to, to re, uh, lead to, and, and, and again, guys tend to be blamers, 
uh, more than uh, women do. Um, but it leads to a resentment, a defensiveness, hostility. It's hard to say the yard's a mess. I'm really upset it getting, getting cleaned up. That's a complaint. But <laughs> you see the reaction there. So again, being attentive to that. Um, this, and I'm sure you've heard this next one. The I statements um, are generally less critical and contemptuous. You're expressing what you're thinking or feeling. Um, compare. You're so lazy. Can't you do anything around here? That's a harsh one. Or, I would appreciate it if you'd help me around the house more. You never listen to me. I feel like I'm being ignored. You, you kind of see if, 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 if one response was, if one startup was shared that way to you, how you might respond as opposed to the other way around. You might be more inclined to say, hopefully you're not saying you shouldn't feel being ignored, right? We talked about that, right? <laughs> Um, there's the, the difference. If we're describing what's happening rather than passing a final judgment, that's really critical. If we limit it to just the facts of the, of the complaint and don't go beyond that is really helpful. Uh, it, it's really hard when we hear, you never spend time with me anymore. We can try we don't seem to go out as much as we used to. Catch the difference. How you respond to that. Be clear. Um, mind reading. That's a tough one, isn't it? How many times have you assumed what your spouse is thinking and then basically acted on that supposed information? I've gotten myself into more trouble with that. Gosh, I can just tell you guys, it really has. We cannot expect our partners to know what we're thinking. Here's an example. Can, can you take the baby for once? Or please change Timmy's clothes and get his bottle. See the difference? Because we're thinking in that statement about taking the baby one time, just take it, we're thinking that person doesn't care about the baby at all and it's all your responsibility. That's, that's what they're thinking in that statement. That's mind reading. By the way, um, that leads me to remember something before we go on. Um, we've got this here for uh, either newlyweds or you're going to have a baby or you're, you know, have younger, smaller children. It's, it's about becoming parents and some helpful things uh, to be able to employ a good structure to help in that process. So I'm going to leave this up here for you to come get. We made about 20 copies. So um, pick that up if that would be helpful for you. Um, you know, sometimes over familiarity with each other, you lose what you would use in normal, courteous conversations with others. Uh, please, and I would appreciate, or thank you. Um, kind of gauge, um, has that dropped off in your relationship because you've been around each other too much? That's not an excuse. This is, again, reminding yourself that this person is unique outside of your marriage, and they have the same needs and desires to be respected 
and appreciated and courteous conversation is absolutely necessary with them just as it is with workmates, schoolmates, and or friends. Children. Children, right. Go ahead. Do you want to share on that? I, well, I was just going to say I feel like manner, it's important, mom and dad, to exercise manners with your kids as well. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to add one little thing, too, about the, you know, watching the startup. Remember, we talked already about body language, facial expression, those kinds of things when it comes to communicating. So another kind of add-ons to softening your startup is touch. Grab your mate's hand. Touch their shoulder. Um, watch your tone of voice when you're sharing your complaint. You might say the right thing, but how are you saying it? Um, a third thing that's really helpful here is what, what Gottman uses is repair attempts, and I, I like that statement. Um, it's a statement or action aimed at cooling down a heated argument. Uh, we want to put the brakes on a negative situation before it gets worse, right? Um, for happy couples, it's a secret weapon. Um, if you're using them successfully, your marriage is probably thriving. Um, and it can take different forms. Uh, it can be subtle or blunt, funny or serious. Anything that works for you to diffuse tension. You've got to know each other, right? Um, you might say something like, that really hurt my feelings. That's a repair attempt. Or can we talk about this later? That's an attempt to bring down the heat. Um, or maybe you're right. <laughs> yeah, that, that sometimes when you breach past no return, you can't really say that, right? That's really hard to do. Um, or you make a funny face, stick out your tongue. Maybe that doesn't work in your marriage. Uh, for us, it, okay, you know, that all of a sudden makes us laugh. That might not work for you. You've got to find what works in these approach attempts that works for both of you and your personalities and who you are in your marriage. But it really does take away the tension and ease the negativity. Um, when they're making this attempt, they're saying they really don't enjoy fighting with you. Now, some people love to fight. That's part of your upbringing. And you actually love fighting. That's okay, actually. <laughs> That's okay because it's a way of blowing off steam, as long as it isn't incorporating some of those four horsemen. Does that make sense? You can be expressive and demonstrative in your fighting, because that can be a steam blower offer. Now, that may seem radical to you. That doesn't even seem spiritual to you. Guys, look at Italians, how they argue. <laughs> look at um, Hispanics in South America. That's a normal part of culture. Uh, you know, I'm, you know, it's just something to understand that we don't have to be restrictive in this approach. Does that make sense? That's what we're trying to encourage you in. Um, that brought some discussion there, didn't it? Um, validation, right. A validation about your style of fighting. Um, so you're really saying our friendship's more important than this argument. Again, going back to friendship. Um, it's going to allow you to solve problems faster. Listen carefully the next fight you have. 
if one of these things, one of the persons says, would you please calm down? Guys, don't shout back. No, I will not calm down. How can I calm down? What's the reason for that, guys? Let me tell you something. This is a, a, a large study was done. And ten sometimes our popular thinking is to believe that women get more emotional and flooded easier. That's false. Absolutely untrue. Um, men actually have a lower tolerance for flooding. That when we become emotionally engaged and begin to start getting into that place, we basically ignite what's you know, psychologically called a fight or flight response. And we stay in that place much longer than a woman does. This may shock you. Oh, I don't agree with that. You're being defensive. <laughs> Large studies have been done on this. What happens is it actually takes our, us guys longer to cool down and begin to think logically with our thoughts. So, if you've reached that point and your wife points out to you, hey, I, it looks like you're getting flooded here, that's a repair attempt of her caring for you and saying, and you being able to respond, uh, yeah, okay, I'm going to go walk the dog for 20 minutes, or I'm going to go out and beat the punching bag out in my garage, or whatever works best for you to come back. It really makes a difference, guys. So I want you to take yourself with that. Okay. Soothing yourself and each other. Um, this is where you stop talking. Take a break. Relax. This is where both of you can engage in this kind of healthful behavior. Um, uh, Gottman uses soothing breaks in every conflict resolution he runs, and I think it's really helpful. Um, at first, you may get annoyed and don't see the point of being forced to stop and relax. You want to resolve it right then and there. How many of you have tried to stay up till 1 or 2 in the morning trying to resolve something and you're just getting nowhere because you're getting more and more tired and more and more angry? Yes. We believe that scripture that says don't let uh, the wrath go down. What's, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath and interpret that to mean we shouldn't go to bed angry. That is poor exposition of that scripture, guys. Because the word for wrath means violent anger. Murderous. Murderous. Being angry with your spouse is not sinful. If you have to go to bed angry, it's Okay. Because you can't stay up till 2 in the morning trying to resolve it. Not if you're sane. Now, if you're, if you're just newly married and nothing else going on the next day, hey, go for it. <laughs> but I don't think too many people are in that place in this, in this room. So here's what Vicki and I have worked out. Being able to actually look at each other and go, okay, I'm tired, you're tired. I'm still angry with you, so am I. This is what we do. All right. I love you. I'm committed to you. And this will work out. And a prayer might be, Lord, help us. Help. <laughs> and then we go to bed. It involves touch. And it involves a verbal commitment. Usually Gunther saying to me, we're going to get through this. 
And so what I need to hear. Oh, good. We're going to get sorry. through this. Let me interrupt you. Just for time's sake. So, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Guys becoming great evaluators, aren't you? <laughs> Use it on your own marriage. Why don't you look in the mirror? <laughs> anyway, um, and surprisingly, the next morning when you wake up, what were you we so angry about? Wow, that's really not as important as I thought it was. It's that's amazing. usually our response. That, that, not always, but a lot of times it really is. So here's some way to soothe yourselves. Um, go ahead and look at it. See what maybe works for you um, in your relationship, in your own personhood, in your relationship. Um, that's really important. I want to jump down to that fifth wing, which is compromise. Um, you know, like it or not, a number of times the only solution to marital problems is finding a compromise. That may not be agreeable to you, but let me share a statistic. Um, I don't see it here, but I'll share it with you. Of large study, and we're talking thousands of couples, who said their marriage was happy, that within an argument or a conflict, 75% of the time, one or both couples were not completely satisfied with the solution that led to moving beyond the conflict. That's in a happy marriage. Three-quarters of the time, what that's saying is, three-quarters of the time, you're not going to get all you want. But it will move you past the logjam. Does that surprise you? Any nods? Okay. So, this is where softening the startup, repairing your discussion, staying calm, these will allow you to find a compromise. Here's an exercise to help common uh, people being able to begin to start honestly considering each other's point of view, uh, being able to uh, be open to your spouse's opinions and beliefs, Here's some things that you can do to find uh, common ground. Um, and you can adjust within this process. Um, didn't we have an exercise for that? Uh, thing we do, don't we? We don't have something for that? That's it. That's it. Okay, so finally, accepting each other. If you can have an attitude of acceptance, the ability to understand... You may not think you have many faults. You may think your spouse has lots of faults. That may be your place or your thought process. Um, there has to be a tolerance and acceptance of that. Similar to what we talked about last night in differences. Just learning to acknowledge them and accept them. I mean, let's be honest. Marriage is death to self. Basically, the ability to... Uh, accept your partner's personality differences from you, the gender differences again, is vital to solving your solvable issues, guys. Um, it's, it's really impossible when you feel criticized, disliked, or unappreciated by each other. And I think you'd agree with that. Okay. Uh, we're running a tad behind, but not bad. I think we caught up to be, tell you the truth. So um, we're going to have a group table discussion now.
Instead of doing couple exercise, we're going to do a group table discussion. So anybody sitting in chairs in the back, I want you to join a table. Oh, am I speaking to just one couple back there? Uh, <laughs> there are I, two. There are friends. I, I can joke with them. There are two cards on the table. They've been turned upside down. Um, so turn those cards over, and as a table, maybe if if you don't get through all those questions, that's fine. But these is, these are something that you can discuss together. We want you don't have to be. We're not asking you to share your deepest darkest secrets. We're, yeah. Okay. The issue here is share your successes. Talk about ways that you either are working on or have found to work through conflict, all right? And if you don't feel like, if you listen more than you talk, that's okay. We want this exercise to be something that's helpful, positive.